Please open up with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, we had a brief break as uh, student preacher Ryan Gladden was here this last week to uh, preach out of Psalm 27. Pastor Greg uh, uh, helped us in our sermon series by preaching in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and now we find ourselves in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. And by way of reminder, this is a sermon series uh, doubling down on how God encourages His people. And remember, my definition of encouragement for us is forward progress or forward movement and in this spiritual way down the path of righteousness, right? Or towards this place, this heavenly place that, that we are going. And, and remember, I've told you before that 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 encouragement, that forward movement can look like us walking, can look like us sprinting, can look like us crawling, or it could look like us being dragged. And yet, it seems the case that at all times, for God's people, we are some way or another, whether we're rolling down the path or walking, uh, we are being encouraged by God. We, we are moving somewhere. This, this life is linear. It's going towards the gates of heaven. Whether that is through a first death and we meet our Lord, or whether it's through trumpet sound and we're called up into the sky, regardless of, of where we find ourselves on the timeline, it's linear. There is encouragement then for those who believe in the Lord Jesus. And, and so as we come here to Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, there is much encouragement. And you'll see with the title that I'm doubling down on this concept of God uh, uh, giving us and His people something. I mentioned it to the children as encouragement, but, but it got me to thinking about benefactors. Have you ever had a benefactor in your life? You know what a benefactor is? There's a couple what I think are important pieces to a benefactor in this life. The first is that they do have a desire to encourage. I think that's very important for a benefactor, right? You might see someone and you want to encourage them. But there's more to it for a benefactor. You know what I mean if you've had one. The, there are a couple other parts. Uh, for instance, typically or in all likelihood, God has given this person something to give. Uh, that could be finances. We think about a benefactor sometimes in philanthropy or something like that or a business where this benefactor all of a sudden is giving of himself or of herself uh, to further whatever it is that we're talking about. The church has benefactors always, financially speaking. But there's also other parts to it because a benefactor uh, not only requires someone who wants to encourage, not only requires God to have given them something, like finances, but maybe something else, like spiritual maturity, or maybe both. Uh, but God has also given them a desire to give that thing, whatever it is. Uh, because I know a lot of people who have a lot of money who don't give anything, right? Uh, that's not a benefactor. Uh, so, so there's this desire to encourage, but it's not just encourage. It's encouraging with something. It's giving something, and the Lord has given them that thing. For me, I've had... A myriad benefactors. And yet one that always comes to my mind, I've mentioned it before, is Rebecca's paternal grandfather, James S. Kidd. Uh, ever since he found out I came to faith and I wanted to preach, I wanted to become a pastor, I wanted to minister and shepherd to God's people, this man poured himself into my life. He would call me. When we got married, he would call us every Sunday night, put us on speakerphone, and we'd sit there and he'd say, How, who'd you get to share the gospel with this week? 
Could you just tell me? And he would rejoice with me in it. Uh, he was willing to write absurd number checks uh, to see us kind of make it where we needed to go. Where I thought, Papa, you know, this is like, this is no good, man. This is, you know, this, this is like, uh, uh, you know, times a hundred our savings account. You know, you can't be doing this, right? But the Lord had given him something. And he so desperately wanted to give. And to see the Lord glorified in it, he was a benefactor. He has since gone on to be with the Lord, but his witness and testimony will stay with me forever. And I believe that, that his tenor and his character, I pray, will be that which I can embody with time to come. Maybe you know what I mean. Have you ever had a benefactor? Or have you seen or read about benefactors? Or, you know, you've heard this tell. God is such a benefactor for you. Whether we know it or not, God gives a great deal. He gives his people so much. But here in verses 4 through 7, to see God as a benefactor, we might see that God gives his people real life through Jesus. Let's pray. We'll read God's word together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are so good and that you are so giving. May we see it in your word. And even as we prayed before, change us. Allow us to leave this place better than we were. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 4. Excuse me, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God it remains forever. This word and these truths will have even in the heavenly places. Thanks be to God. Now, God gives his people real life in the Lord Jesus. Let's see that in four, uh, four ways. And we can see that really just by the verses. It's no, no kind of crazy breakup this time. It's just four, five, six, and seven. Uh, rich in all the right places. Debt free, which means death free is point number two. Soul change, life change is number three. And then number four, a most encouraging benefactor. So first then, rich in all the right places. Verse four, what is God rich in? You know, God is rich in everything, right? I mean, let's be real. God is God, okay? I've been known to say that. I'll say it again. God is uh, uh, said to have had the cattle on a thousand hills, which is a way to say that he's got all the stuff. Okay, that's, you know, uh, cattle for me still is very important. For most of us, though, uh, cattle isn't really something that we know about, right? We eat beef maybe and that's it. But uh, a cattle back then would have been us saying, yeah, we got the big bank account, right? You know, we, we've got the money to give. I can go to the ATM right now and pull out all the zeros, right? Uh, we've got the gold. We've got the silver. We've got the jewels. I can get you what you need. God has all of these things. They are His and His to give. What else does God have? God has justice. You see that all throughout the Word. God has patience. In the Hebrew, I say this a lot, but I love it. Uh, he's known to have a long nose. Because 
if you have a long nose, when you get mad and it turns red, it takes a long time to turn red because it's long. He, he's patient, right? He's long-suffering. He's got a long nose. God's patient. So he's got patience. He's got love. And we're about to cover that piece of it. But that's not what God's rich in here. So says Paul. Though he is rich in it. But Paul's emphasizing something else. God has so many attributes. So many things. Uh, wisdom. Straight up power. Creativity. When we, love, when we love to create. I have this opportunity. Uh, a certain generation will understand this. Maybe another generation won't. Uh, but at Grace Prez, where uh, I was the associate pastor as we were planting this church, uh, I had this thing with the youth that I did called Minecraft Ministries. And one of the things that we did was create. And if you know what that game is, it's a video game on the computer. Now it's on other platforms as well. Uh, it's like Legos on a screen. You create. And we would play this game where you had to make one-to-one -one representations of the temple. From Exodus or Deuteronomy or, you know, all Chronicles, all these different things. Noah's Ark and Genesis, you know, where you get these direct measurements. You had to do a one-to-one -one physical representation. And whoever had the best one won, right? You know, it's awesome. It's fun. It's cool. We love to create. God is a creator. He created all things. He's rich in creation. He's rich in imagination. Creativity. But what is God rich in here? God is rich in mercy. Paul doubles down on mercy. And even more than that, he, he doubles down again, this time quite literally. Because... Not only is he rich in mercy, but now we see that, that this mercy is going somewhere because God has a great love with which he loved us. Now this is a very Hebrew way to say he super loves us, okay? Um, let me give you an example. In, in the Hebrew language, there weren't words really that said uh, very. Like, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's very loving. Or super, like he's super loving. Or extra, right? He's, he's extra loving. There wasn't a little 100 emoji, right? There weren't these little fire things that you could say, oh yeah, that's it, right? He's super loving. I get it now. So what did the Hebrews say? Well, they said the word twice. He's love, love. And when you saw love, love, you knew. He's super loving, right? It's love times two, right? Uh, that, that's what they were saying. And you see this all over the Old Testament, but an easy place to find it, if you were just curious, is in Jonah chapter 1, at the very end, after they chucked Jonah into the ocean, because Jonah said, listen, y'all, it's my fault that this storm's coming and you're going to die, but if you throw me over, you're going to see that it's God who did it, and the storm's going to stop and you will be saved. And so, if you know the story, it's true, by the way, they throw him overboard. And what happens then? The storm stops. But something else even more important happens. They loved exceedingly the Lord, right? They, they feared the Lord exceedingly is what it says. But in the Hebrew, it actually says they feared a great fear. And instead of worshipped exceedingly or loved exceedingly or bowed down exceedingly, it says in the Hebrew, they vowed vows. <laughs> uh, they they feared fear, they vowed vows, right? Double, triple on itself, it's multiplicative. And so what does Paul do? A Hebrew of Hebrews, by the way, God loves with a lot of love, right? And you think, what? What does that even mean? It's, it's multiplied, it's doubling down, it's super, it's extra, it's 
excellent and giant and more than we can imagine. God is rich in mercy and he loves with a super love. And the question for us is, are we rich in all the right places? Or do we double down on some of the things that get us in trouble? What are you rich in? What are you known for? What can you talk a lot about? What do people think you talk a lot about? What's your demeanor? What's your character? What do you interpret it as? What are you known for? Paul could have chosen a myriad of different things here and it would have worked. Really, it really would have worked. And he chose mercy and he chose love. Do you choose mercy? Do you choose love? I challenge you to really think about it before answering. But there's more because as we see Paul beginning to open up something that's enormous, as we begin to see that God is rich in all the right places and, and that this richness is being conferred, we begin to see that because of this, because of this mercy richness, because of this mercy wealth, because of this super love, we begin to see that, that his people become debt free, which means that we also become death free. That's point number two, debt free, death free. Verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. A couple things. The gospel, if we wanted to use an illustration, is not the life raft in the water because we're struggling and we can grab onto the life raft. Okay? Uh, the, the illustration is that you are dead and that God looks at you and says, come to life. And then all of a sudden you come to life. Okay? That's the only illustration that works. There's no grabbing on. There's no aiding God. There's no uh, uh, all of a sudden fixing the thing because God gave you the power. You know, now I know because God gave me the ability to read. And now I can see. No! God said you're dead. What are we going to do about that? Be alive. And then boom, you're alive. It's a miracle. That's the gospel. That's the reality. And, and that has to come by uh, a work of the Lord Jesus. Because remember, uh, uh, this sin that we have committed, this corruption that we are a part of in this place that is going against God and His very character and the very created order that, that He has stipulated from the beginning. That this has caused something that goes well beyond death. And when you think about it, this sounds crazy. Death isn't really that big of a deal for the Lord because He could do what I just said. Life. Right? Oh no, you're dead. Live. Right? Boom. But there's something that goes beyond that because we know as those who believe in God that as we're reading the fullness of the scriptures, there's, there's an eternal life. And so this first step that we're talking about is not the thing we should be focusing on, though we do a lot. What we should be focusing on is the debt that we have towards God. There is a debt. And there is a debt you can never pay. Surely y'all resonate. Even if you're debt-free now, do you know that feeling when you know there's a debt looming? Your house or a bill for the month. And you think, am I going to get that one this time? <laughs> you know, I've had it before, but it's like, man, the anxiety and the stress that, that just constrict and bind you. That's your lights, y'all. 
not your life. And there, there is a debt that we cannot pay. And, and that is the gospel moment where Jesus enters the scene and he's perfect and not corrupt. And he fulfills the law rather than breaking it. And he sacrifices himself for us rather than trying to save himself, which is what we do. And it's in that moment that by grace you have been saved. And remember what grace is. Grace is an unmerited gift. That means, hey, here's a gift. What did I do to deserve it? Nothing. You didn't do anything. There's nothing that you did to deserve this. I'm giving it to you of my own volition. It is God's choice that He gives. And He gives His Son. And with His Son, He gives life. And with life, it's life everlasting. By grace, you have been saved. You are debt-free. And you are death-free. And in this, all Christians rejoice. Where's my man Thomas? I'm going to quote him for the rest of my life. Easter's coming, right, Thomas? Easter's coming. I love that. Easter's coming. And that is the great moment where the debt is paid and where we go from death to life. That's what grace is, the unmerited gift of salvation. What a powerful reality that we find ourselves in as God is giving his people real life, life that is everlasting. But that can only come by a working of the Holy Spirit. Because if we are not believing, we don't believe there is anything after this life. And so we don't care. That's a trick of our own minds. One that we must always be wary of. Number three. As we think about God giving his people real life, not only is God rich in all the right places, giving us uh, debt freedom and death freedom, right? He's giving us life and life everlasting in his presence. We also see that this comes with, with more, right? This benefactor of God is giving us even more. A soul change and a life change in verse 6. And, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This Bible verse is a perfect sanctification Bible verse. Oh, sanctification, what is that? Well, pastor, I don't know. That's the first one. Uh, the second one is, well, pastor, it's like getting better or something. It's like you do better stuff instead of the bad stuff, right? That's what sanctification is. And I say, well, sort of, but not really. Because remember, I already told you that God is the one who is giving you all of these things. He's already taken care of your debt. You can do whatever you want. And so what is sanctification then? What does it matter? What's going on? I've hopefully used this illustration before, but sanctification is being set apart. I usually put this glass right here. If I wanted to, I could set it apart and move it over here. Now it's in a different place. It's no longer here. I have sanctified it to be on my left side. That's silly, but it's a good example of what sanctification is, which is a movement. It's, it's setting it apart from that which is to, to that which will be or, or that which is new. And, and so as we think about this sanctification work, it, if your soul has been changed due to the work of Jesus, in other words, if you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit has stirred in you and caused you to, to become a new person, to have a beating heart of life after the Lord, then necessarily your life emphases will have changed as well. You will not be the same person. You will not go after the same things. You will not have the same proclivities, at least the same pursuit of those same proclivities. All of you probably know coming to faith 
comes with the challenge of battling those things that you were gripped by in the past. And they sometimes can be lifelong. I know some of us talk about these things together and pray for one another. Difficulties. And yet, even so, uh, as Paul would say, that's our flesh and not our soul. Because our soul desires those right things to move with the Lord. Maybe if you're still struggling to kind of figure this out, the soul change, life change concept of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, let's, let's kind of use this illustration but in a different way. Address change. How many of you have had a different address in your life? Most people have had a different address, right? Um, most people. Some people haven't. But, but in my life, I've had three, kind of three, four addresses now that I really could probably tell you, right? I could tell you some houses that I lived in when I was a child with my parents. I could tell you the duplex address that Rebecca and I lived in when we first got married. And I could tell you the house address we live in now, our home, right? Uh, Y'all could probably think that, uh, yeah. What are the numbers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I can tell you, right? You could list these addresses. Uh, I'm, I'm here to tell you that if I got in my car right now and I drove to our duplex that we got married in and I tried to go into that duplex, whoever lived there would not be very pleased, okay? It's not, it's not my house anymore, okay? Uh, as much as I want to remember that address and remember that place and remember the memories that I had there, good and bad, if I tried to go back there now, police are getting called, right? There's no other way around it. Even if it's vacant, I'm still going to get in trouble for breaking in, right? It's not my house. I've been moved. I've been changed to a new address. The same is true for you who are in the Lord Jesus. You've been raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you are one who is believing in God, your life has necessarily changed. And because of that, you have been sanctified, set apart. And yes, you are still waging war against your sin, of course. But a war it is, and not a giving in. And I'm here to tell you that if you are discontent in your spiritual walk, if you are not believing as much as you feel like you should, or if it's hard to get to church, or if it's weird trying to figure out this Christian thing, my next question to you would be, are you driving to your old address and trying to break in? Or are you going to the places that the Lord has now put you in? Your home, the heavenly place. If you do the same stuff as non-believers do, newsflash, you're going to the wrong address. If you are one who does not speak of the Lord daily, do you even care about Him? Think about it. And then if you say, yes, I do care. I do care about Him. Then I would challenge you to meet the Lord daily, to speak of Him, and to go into the heavenly house. And when you begin to do that, to begin to recognize and bear testimony and witness to the removal of your discontent, to the removal of the frustration and the anger and the malice and the wrath and the pride and the sexual immorality, the idolatry, the covetousness, and all men are likewise. And that, and that as you go into the house of the Lord and as all of these things begin to get put away, as you begin to focus on those heavenly things that are your desire, 
as you truly begin to wage battle, that content level, that peace level, that joy level, that praise level, all of these things rise. I'd be willing to guarantee it. Don't you crave that? Are you, are you missing it? If you're married, ask your spouse. Are you miserable? What does it mean to find these things in God? What does it mean to see that you've been raised up with Him, seated with Him in the heavenly places? But there's one more point. Not only is God rich in all the right places, not only does He make us debt-free, therefore debt-free, not only uh, do we see a life change because of our soul change, but now we see that God is a most encouraging benefactor. Wait a second. What have we been talking about this whole time? Because you need to see in verse 7 that God is not a most encouraging benefactor because of 4, 5, and 6. Let's read verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The gospel is much bigger. It's far grander than our finite minds can ever imagine. And here is a verse that stretches us to the very limits of the conceptions that we can have about an infinite God. Because what we see in verse 7 is that God would send His own Son, who is God, that God would willingly go, that God would, uh, would then pour out all of those things that mark Him as God, and He would live this life in humiliation as a person, as a human. And then as a human, He would be spit on, and He would be crucified, and He would die, and He would sacrifice Himself and receive all the wrath of God, that, in that moment, he might give us all of his righteousness and that we might be saved and that he might lead a people into the heavenly places for this purpose so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the beginning. This is the first page of the first chapter of eternity where we begin to see an opened up reality of an eternal life with an eternal God. And, and in that moment, when we begin to conceive that, that there is more to that which is already so much, all those other things begin to fall in line. Because that's the thing. Papa used to call me, and he used to ask, how many people did you share the gospel with this week? And sometimes I wouldn't have had anybody. And I was ashamed a little bit. And with grace, and with mercy, he said, maybe we could pray. Maybe we could pray that you would have opportunity, especially with the young ones. He said, how many children do you think you could share the gospel with if you tried? Granny continues that. That's what she asks still. That's the thing with benefactors, is that with encouragement, in which with that which God has given them, they are now giving. But but they are giving of themselves with the desire to see us encouraged and to see us grow and to see us cross those hurdles. And so when we think about God as a most encouraging benefactor, we begin to realize and see 
that all of these things that he is giving is in grace and love and mercy. Because remember, if we are feeling guilty or ashamed, thinking, yeah, I don't talk about God every day or think about him, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is, right? I, I'm still kind of doing this thing. I'm not really believing that. You know, I, I don't know, right? All of these different things that are crossing our minds when the pastor says something. It, it's in that moment that God, as most encouraging benefactor, says, don't you see my son or my daughter? That's why I sent Jesus, my son. That's why I've given you all these things that we might spend forever together. This is just a page, just a sentence, just a word. Just a letter, just a dot or an iota. There is much more to be seen. And as we study more and more, as we praise more and more, as we worship more and more, we begin to behold God more and more. And when we do that, we see that God gives his people real life, that he is a most encouraging benefactor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you. What more can we say but thank you? Oh, Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.